The scripture that Avery read this morning, Romans 8, 28 through 31. As I was thinking about it this past week, I remembered a uh, friend of mine, former church member of mine, and uh, just all around brother in Christ who epitomizes this scripture, whose life just makes it so real. His name is Bruce Olson. And uh, Bruce was, uh, when he was 19 years old, uh, living in the Midwest, he came to a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and came to know him in a very special way. And the Lord laid it on Bruce's heart that he was supposed to go find some indigenous tribe somewhere that had been isolated from the gospel and that he would uh, be the one to take the gospel to a people that had never heard it before. He prayerfully sought where he should go and it turned out that it was to the Modalone Indians in, uh, uh, in Colombia. And so he headed out to this tribe to find them, not knowing how he was going to pull it off, just knowing this is what God had called him to do. Well, he uh, wound up uh, getting some Indian guides to lead him out to the area where these Indians were, to their territory. You need to understand that the Motolones had been at war with civilization since uh, Ponce de Leon had come through looking for the Fountain of Youth. They uh, killed anybody that came into their territory. Nobody wanted to go into that territory. They loved it when the oil workers came through. They loved to kill the oil workers because their steel helmets that they wore, their hard hats, were great for boiling turkey eggs in. And so uh, these are the people that he is going to share the gospel with. And he said they were walking through the jungle and all of a sudden it got very, very quiet. All the animals just quit making any noise. And the, his guides knew that that meant the moat alone were around. You just couldn't see them. And all of a sudden they took out running. Now Bruce stands about six, four. These other guys stood about five, two. And so they were able to run under the brush where Bruce was having to run through the brush. And they ran off, his guys ran off and left him. And as he's struggling through the brush, his first contact with the Modalone Indians was an arrow about this long piercing his leg. In fact, I have some of these arrows. Uh, I'll, bring, I'll bring them, show them to you sometime. But uh, anyway have barbs, they harden their arrows in, in fire, and then they have barbs carved in them so that whenever they stick, they tear when you pull them out. So uh, anyway, this is, the, this, this is Bruce's first contact. He goes down, they capture him, they take him back to their village, and they're going to kill him, but they discover he's ill. He has hepatitis. And it turns out that they don't kill sick animals or sick people. So they waited. They were going to nurse him back to health so they could kill him. And so uh, as they were doing that, uh, a uh, helicopter flew over and 
this helicopter frightened. They were very scared of the Indians. They called the, the Modalones called the helicopters that came over the magic flute. And they had this idea that the magic flute was what came and got you when you died and carried you off to wherever you went. Well, so they all ran off into the woods and hid so the magic flute wouldn't get them. It turns out it was an acquaintance, a doctor acquaintance of Bruce's that uh, had wanted to take pictures of these Modalone Indian huts. He, Bruce was able to get a friend of a friend that he'd made among the his captors to drag him out into the center of the camp before his friend ran off and he waved and his friend spotted him down there. And so they went down, they picked up Bruce and they took him back into the city. He wound up in the hospital for several weeks. And then six weeks later, Bruce Olson bops back into the woods, into the jungle, excuse me, finds the Modalones and uh, goes to their village with them. Now, you've got to understand, as far as the Modalones go, Bruce had died because they watched the magic flute carry him away. So here was a guy that had come back from the dead as far as they were concerned. So they tolerated his presence among them. I can't give you a whole lot more detail right now, but after six years of living with them and loving them like Jesus, he finally had his first convert. And, uh, and this first convert was, uh, uh, anyway, but then, and after that, the chief was converted. And when the chief was converted, he decided that everybody ought to know Jesus. And so he gathered up his warriors and they headed out like a war party to their neighboring village, to the, the to the, to their next door neighbors, another tribe of Indians that didn't know Jesus because they needed to tell them about Jesus. Now you got to understand these people have been killing each other for centuries. They never had amicable uh, contact. And so here they go bopping down, looking like a war party through the jungle trails and they run across their neighbors, another war party. And so the uh, uh, chief uh, is ready. He's excited. He's going to tell them about Jesus. And they start the other guys. When you see a mode alone, you kill the mode alone before the mode alone kills you. So they start shooting arrows right and left at the mode alone. Well, the chief walked right through the arrows, walked up to the other opposing chief, put his hands on the other chief's shoulders, told him all about Jesus. The other chief flabbergasted that he didn't get killed by all the arrows they shot, receives Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and all the rest of the warriors do. And so both sides go home rejoicing in the Lord. Okay. They come back and say, oh, Bruce, man, it was so cool, man. The arrows didn't even go through us. You know, it was just so wonderful. And he, I told them all about Jesus. And, and Bruce said, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. You told them about Jesus? Yeah, man, it was cool. And they go to say, yeah, yeah. But you don't speak the same language. And so there's another miracle that took place. Somehow, 
They understood each other, even though they didn't speak the same language. Well, if you want to read more about Bruce Olson, his book is For This Cross, I Kill You. And uh, uh, that's the that's the name of his book. And uh, Bruce is a fantastic guy to this day. Later on, he wound up being captured by the communist guerrillas. And uh, he got stayed out. He, he, he got to. We were honored to have him in our house for a little time while he was in exile. Because what happened was the communist guerrillas captured him for ransom. And uh, they were, uh, but they discovered, it's kind of like the ransom of Red Chief. They had kidnapped the wrong guy. By that time, Bruce Olson was loved by all of Columbia. No one would see anything bad happen to Bruce Olson. And they could not kill him and stay in good stead with the people of Columbia. And so they moved him, they had, and they had to move him from uh, encampment to encampment because he said that you know, they, they keep him tied to a tree like a dog. And uh, But his captors, he told us, he discovered they were like 16-year-old boys that uh, they, were, they were idealistic and uh, they uh, had found the, the, the principles that they thought that the principles that they should be embracing were found in Marx. But he got, he, so he, and, but they couldn't read. So he taught them how, he would teach them how to read and show them that what they really embraced wasn't found in Karl Marx. What they were embracing was found in God's word and in Jesus Christ. And he kept converting his captors he was messing up the communist forces in uh, in Colombia because they had to keep, and so they'd have to keep moving him from place to place. They couldn't kill him, and he kept converting his guards, and just like Paul. And so uh, finally, they decided they're going to let him go, and so they took him out, put him before a firing squad. Asked him if he wanted to blindfold, and he said no, because the thing is, to him, a firing squad was a ticket home. A firing squad was just going to take him to Jesus. So he had no fear of death. He stood there loving his captors as they cocked their weapons, and on order, they fired, and nothing happened. They loaded the guns with blanks, and the thing is, they had decided they were going to have to let him go. They couldn't kill him, but maybe this would derange him, drive him crazy. And this would be something that they could at least mess him up. But he just missed his ticket home, you know. So and then the president of Columbia told him that uh, he needed to leave town. He need not just leave town. He needed to leave the country because there were right wing extremists that were plotting to kill him now and blame it on the communists. And so for his own safety from the other side of the communists, Bruce had to leave the country until he got the OK from the president of Colombia. So while he was here stateside, he was uh, visiting with us in our home for a while. And we were living in the woodlands at that time, I think. And uh, he got a phone call 
from the president of Colombia. And it turns out that the president had gotten word from a reporter that the communist group that had captured, that had kidnapped Bruce Olson, wanted to start negotiations for peace. But the only way that they would enter into peace negotiations would be if on the negotiating task force was their friend, Bruce Olson. So all of a sudden, the president says, you can come home to Colombia now because uh, this has been made public by the reporter that got the word. And if anybody kills you now, it's going to be blamed on the people that were plotting to kill you. So I think it's safe for you to come home. So Bruce was overjoyed that he was going to get to back in, be back in the jungle instead of the woodlands, Texas. And so he headed back joyfully. I tell you all this to let you know that the words of Scripture are true. We live them out in our lives every day if we are the Lord's. Or we should be living them out in our lives every day. And the thing is, Bruce went through every peril, all the seven perils that are uh, outlined by the Apostle Paul. Trouble, hardship, my goodness, let's see, what are the rest of them here? Uh, Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Bruce faced them all and he's still alive today and he's still the Lord's today. And the reason why is the same reason uh, that uh, any of us should be able to give for that. And that is we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We are more than conquerors. You see, in Christ You are an overcomer. You are a conqueror in Christ. You're an overcomer. Not you will be, but you are positionally in Christ. That's just what you are. Remember what I told you last week? When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Let's say that together. When you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And who are you? You are an overcomer. That's who you are in Christ Jesus. You are an overcomer. Uh, Paul goes on and he goes through. He says, uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then he goes on and he says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Then he asks the question, and he says, uh, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who is able to separate separate, uh, Bruce Olson from the love of Christ? The Motolones couldn't do it. Hepatitis couldn't do it. That was the illness he had. Uh, death couldn't do it. Nothing could separate him. Hardship, nothing could separate him from the love of Christ. Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. And then, you know, in the, in the seven things that he listed, I want you to think about this, realizing 
that in Christ you are an overcomer, shall trouble or hardship separate us from the love of Christ? I guarantee you that many of you right here in this room right now uh, are facing some kind of trouble or hardship. In fact, if you're facing some kind of trouble or hardship in your life right now, let me see your hand. Okay, most of you are honest. Okay, that's good. That's good. Okay. All righty. Most of us are facing some kind of trouble or hardship. And for you, it could be ongoing migraine headaches, or it could be a challenging marriage. It could be a child that is in need in some way. It could be a, it could be a person that, that just, they're, they're just, you just, you're kind of like uh, Peter whenever he asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive my brother? Because you've got somebody that just keeps doing stuff over and over again. Do I have to keep on forgiving them? Jesus, I'm counting now. How many times? You know, anyway, you may have some a problem person in your life. That's your hardship right now. Uh, but uh, it could be that your child is in need in some way. Shall these things separate you from the love of Christ? He says, what about persecution? Say you're uh, in elementary school and your friends make fun of you. He says, uh, uh, you may be a, well, you may even be a junior in college and you're trying to remain sexually pure until you're married and your friends just don't understand and they make fun of you and they persecute you because you refuse to compromise your values. You might be a business person who walked away from a very profitable deal because it would cause you to compromise your integrity and people don't understand and they persecute you because you have values. Shall persecution separate you from the love of Christ? He goes on. What about famine or nakedness and you, know, you might say, well, I'm not facing famine or nakedness, but in your world, in your case, it might be financial hardship. There's just more month left than money. And you're wondering, how are we going to overcome this? Are we going to have to file bankruptcy? He goes on to say, shall danger or sword? And let me say, in many parts of the world, if you go public with your faith in Christ, your life is in danger but it could, and, and in this world nowadays, you know, we face danger all around. My goodness. But it might be a physical hardship. It might be a doctor's report. The doctors told you or someone you love, things aren't looking good right now. And Paul asked the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. And then in verse 37, he says emphatically, no, no. In all these things, who are you? Remember, when you know who you are, you'll know what to do. So who are you in Christ? Everybody help me say it out loud. In these things, we are more than conquerors more than conquerors, not in our own power, through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. It's not in our own strength, not in our own power, 
but through the power of the risen Christ and those of you who are uh, the Lord's. Let me tell you what you are. You are more than a conqueror. You are more than an overcomer. Notice I said more than. In fact, the little Greek word that's traded conqueror or winner or victor is the word nikao. And that word means victorious. But that's not the word. That's just the root of the word that is used in this passage of scripture. The passage here is hooper nikao. It's the same word we get hyper from. And so uh, it means overboard, above and beyond, more than. You are more than a conqueror. You're more than a winner. You are hooper nikao. And it means, it means to vanquish beyond recognition. Now that's cocky. That's powerful. It means to gain a decisive victory. It means exceedingly more than a conqueror. Now, with Christ, you are hooper nikao. You're not going to just eke by a little victory. You're going to demolish the opposition. Now, we are not talking Rocky Balboa fighting here, people. Uh, whenever he was fighting Apollo Creed. Do you remember that painful sequence where he goes nine rounds and it's always it's just, just boom, boom, boom. What you doing? Boom, boom. Rocky, what you doing? Strategy. I'm wearing him out. You know, <laughs> and he goes on in the ninth round. All of a sudden he comes back and boom, 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 boom. He winds up laying out. Apollo Creed. And then he goes back to his corner. His face is pummeled beyond recognition. His eyes are puffy. He's got brain damage. That's why I said, oh, Adrian, you know. Okay. That's not you. That's not the kind of victory that you have in Christ Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. That's what many people think that that's what I'm talking about. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the God kind of victory where he vanquishes the opposition beyond recognition. We're talking about the Egyptians falling the Israelites into the ocean. And this is one of those things that this past week has just haunted me as I thought about it. The Israelites, you know, they left uh, Egypt and they're bopping through uh, the, 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 the wilderness. And all of a sudden, Pharaoh's army is coming after them in chariots and all this. And they just go crazy. And the drama is just incredible. Have you ever noticed this thing? And finally, they say, this is what they say to Moses. Then they said to Moses, is it because there were no great, not enough graves in Egypt? that you brought us out here to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in this wilderness. We're going to die. You know, they're just uh, there. They're just all this drama going on. 
And so what does Moses say? Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. They stood by. God parted the sea. They strolled across. The Egyptians came in after them. And God goes, whoops. And the ocean just comes in on top of them. And the angry Egyptian soldiers and their chariots and all are gone, covered by the sea. They're vanquished. The Israelites wound up being more than conquerors through God. Do you see? More than conquerors. When you stop and look at it, apart from the drama that they acted out, they just took a stroll. Isn't that right? Just stop and think about it. All they did was biddly bop from Egypt across to the other side of the Red Sea. All the drama was just in their heart and in their head. God had everything under control. How much drama do we make for ourselves and generate in our own lives instead of just letting God handle things and just walking in faith, trusting in him and knowing that in him we are more than conquerors? Well, another God kind of victory was Gideon. When we first encounter Gideon, he's hiding out in a wine press because the Midianites keep coming in. Every time that there's grain to be had, they come in and take it away from the Israelites. And so he's hiding in a big wine press, thrashing his grain to keep the Midianites from finding him and taking the grain they needs to feed his family. Well, an angel bops up to him while he's hiding out, sneaking around, trying to get some food and says, uh, hail valiant warrior. And I'm sure Gideon looked over his shoulder to see who he was talking to. And it turns out that after all the excuses and all the different affirmations that Gideon had to have, Gideon wound up leading an army of 300 against 135,000 Midianites And those 300 just had a torchlight jam session one night and the Midianites wound up killing each other. When it was all over, there were 15,000 Midianites left. If you'll recall, they had the the Lord had them take a horn and a, a pitcher and have a torch and a pitcher and surround the Gideonites or the Midianites army. And then uh, whenever the horns blew, they were to break their pitchers, hold up their torches and shout the sword for the Lord and Gideon or for Gideon and the Lord. And the noise and the light put fear in the Gideons and the Midianites. And they wound up trying to get get out of there and fighting each other to get out of there. Only 15,000 left. And so all that 300 had to do was go down and start chasing the 15,000 that were left. And uh, they finally caught, and, and interestingly, the, there were, they caught two of the four kings immediately. One of them was found hiding, guess where? In a wine press. 
Isn't that just God? That Gideon starts out hiding in a wine press from the Midianites, and yet the king of Midian is captured and killed in a wine press by Gideon's guys. What a turn of events. Gideon was more than conqueror through the Lord and the Lord's power. Now, Jesus says this. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. And the two, we, the, the Israelites had trouble. Gideon had trouble. Bruce Olson had trouble. We all wind up having trouble. But then Jesus says, but take heart for he says, for I have done what? For I have overcome the world through Christ, through the power of the risen Christ. You would say, well, I'm, I'm just an ordinary Christian. Christians are not ordinary. If you're ordinary, I question whether you've really become a Christian or not, because Christians are supposed to be a peculiar people, it says. We're different from the world and we live by faith and not by sight. We are different. There's no such thing as an ordinary Christian because if you are a Christian, you are an overcomer by two things. First of all, by the blood of the lamb. It says in the book of Revelation, uh, they overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Those are the two important things that uh, that you have that nobody else outside of Christ has. First of all, you're an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb. The Lamb of God is Jesus Christ. He was slain before the foundation of the world. He shed his blood and through the power of the blood, Scripture says, our sins are forgiven. Not through our being good, but through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, our sins have been forgiven. By the power of the blood, the shed blood, we are, uh, we, but, but through that we have access to the throne of grace, to the very throne of God. We can come before him and be heard. By the power of the blood, we are redeemed from this empty way of life that those others who don't live in him live in, in the futility of the world. You, because of what Jesus did with his blood, are an overcomer. Not going to be, are an overcomer. Also, you're an overcomer by the words of your testimony. Now, this is just it. Your testimony isn't just, well, I joined the church on such and such a day. Your testimony has to do with how the power of the blood of Jesus has set you free and transformed you and allowed you to become in Christ a new creature. Apart from the blood of Jesus, there is no Christian testimony. So you are an overcomer, first of all, by the power of the blood. And because of that, you can share with others what Jesus means to you, not what Christianity means to you, not what St. Philip Methodist Church means to you, but what he 
has meant to you. The change that he has allowed to occur and caused to occur in your life. That's your testimony. Because you're an overcomer who lives in the power of the blood of Jesus and you have a testimony, you will fight with faith. You'll fight with faith. And tragically, too many people come in with this faithless, wishy-washy mindset and they lose the battle in their minds before they ever even think about fighting it in the world. And you won't do that. Because you are an overcomer. You will stand strong positionally knowing who you are, that you are more than a conqueror. Well, we demolish, we cast down strongholds, it says in Scripture. And the strongholds that some of us need to cast down are in our hearts and in our minds because the enemy has gained a threshold there a foothold there, and he keeps telling you, don't listen to Brother Joel. Don't listen to him. You know you're not like that. But you know what? In Christ, you are an overcomer. You are an overcomer. You all come across people and they'll say, well, well, all I can do now is pray. That's all we can do now. Can you imagine that? What, what, what does God think whenever say, well, all we can do now is pray and say, oh, you think he thinks, oh, you're just really done for now, man. I mean, if all you have to do is to talk to me about it, hey, that's where you should have started, you know, because I'm with the most powerful force ever you can turn to. He says, call upon him and I will answer you. It's not all we can do is pray. It's we can pray knowing that God is going to hear, knowing that God's going to make a difference. Well, David, the psalmist and the king, he says, God, in your strength, I can crush any army. And he knew that he had learned in God's strength. He could crush any army. But he'd also tried to do things in his own strength and not been able to do anything, been defeated. He had learned he had to depend upon God. And if he was doing what God told him to do, no one could stand against him. And so that's what it is with us. And so we have not only do we fight with faith, And that faith is, first of all, trusting God, not just believing he exists, trusting that he has your best interest at heart, that he is for you. No matter what your experience may tell you, he is for you. He loves you. I remember counseling with a woman one time and it finally came out that she was in deep depression because she had lost, she had had miscarried a child. She let it slip. I don't know why God took my baby. And I had to explain to her, God did not take her baby. And her anger toward God was keeping her from the one who could comfort her and bring her healing in her heart like nobody else could. But her anger toward God 
kept him at a distance. The enemy loves to do that. He loves to do that. So first of all, we fight with faith, trusting that no matter how things look, God loves you and he has good things in store for you and he is going to help you. That's number one, faith that has trust in him at the heart of it. And then you fight with supernatural weapons and quickly in these jars of clay, We fight with the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the fiery and and, uh, the, the belt of truth and shoes prepared with the gospel of the readiness of peace and the sword of the spirit, which is the living word of God. Those are your supernatural weapons that you have to fight with. Some of you I know, and some of you have admitted, you're going through some tough things right now. Well, just remember, as you face those things, you do not face them alone. In Christ Jesus, you are more than conqueror through him who loves you. The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.